eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the for the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 74 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin. And Scott, despite it being uh, Christmas around the corner, it's not the most jolliest of times right now for the Bruins or the NHL. No, just uh, misery across the league, really. Um, Bruins, one of many teams that have now been shut down through Christmas. Uh, you know, so four games total postponed for them at least, um, you know, hopefully they're able to come back on December 27th right now is their next scheduled game. Hopefully everything's in the clear and they're actually able to play then. But as we've seen over this past week, everything can change in a second. Uh, you know, you can think things are okay and then they get worse and, um, yeah, so Bruins were supposed to be up in Canada over the weekend. Games in Montreal and Ottawa. Bridget and I were supposed to be up in Montreal. Um, obviously, those games were postponed. No, no trip to Canada. No poutine in Montreal for us. No stops at Vermont breweries on the way. Got to find some other Christmas gifts now for some people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it sucks. Um, they also had games against. Uh, Colorado and what was their other game this week? They got postponed, but anyways, Carolina. Yeah, Carolina. So four postponed total. Um, and as of right now, so as we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon, Bruins still have nine players and two staff members in COVID protocol. Uh, there's not been any additions uh, since Saturday, so you know, I guess you could say that's encouraging, but it's also possible that they just haven't released new test results or anything like that yet um because they're shut down they really have like no obligation to communicate with media i've noticed that the calgary flames have been tweeting out every day 
you know, that they've had no new cases. So they've actually been communicating that information. Seems like every team's kind of handling it differently. We haven't gotten any updates from the Bruins since Saturday, uh, which is when they put Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar on the COVID list. So uh, Bruce Cassidy is scheduled to speak to the media Tuesday morning. So I imagine we'll get some sort of update then as to whether or not there's been anyone else added or if they've been in the clear for a couple of days at that point. Obviously, you hope there are no new additions. Um, and then you hope some of those guys start coming back as they get to uh, the 10-day mark, which would put, I think, most of them in line to return for the 27th. Most of them tested positive before that. I think Holland Lazar would still be a day or two away. Um, but then there's a whole other interesting issue, you know, big issue, which is traveling back and forth to Canada and the U.S. because the NHL shut down cross-border travel altogether through Christmas. And we're going to have to see how that ends up getting resolved and what the solution is there because the Bruins' second game after Christmas on December 29th is back in Ottawa um, where they just had a trip canceled. They're scheduled to have a game there again on the 29th. So we're going to have to see how that situation goes and whether they're able to cross the border or, you know, what happens there. Um, the NHL, obviously, in a much different situation than other leagues where we've seen teams move out of Canada for a stretch of the season and just play games in the U.S. You can't do that when you have eight teams in Canada across the league, like, or seven or whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why you had to have the Canadian division last year to just keep everyone in their own country. So NHL has to figure that out, and we'll see if it's figured out by the 29th when the Bruins are supposed to go back to Canada. Yeah. I mean, it does suck because last year, I think everybody involved did the best that they could, um, given the circumstances, to to have a season. And, uh, you know, so then towards the end of the year, you start to get some fans here and there, and then, you know, by the I mean, again, the Stanley Cup Finals, you had you had Tampa Bay playing in front of eighteen thousand at home, and then you had Montreal playing in front of like maybe two or like twenty five hundred. So it was just that just that Stanley Cup Finals kind of just like was a microcosm of how we, you know weird last year was, but you still respected like how everybody you know did their best. And then this year starts off, and it's pretty normal, like all things considered, right? Um, everybody's at max capacity um, in the arenas and players you know they're they're it was it was it was more normal for them and all of a sudden you know the last like, three weeks now this new variant of covid um which you know all things considered is is supposed to be um you know a lot more mild than what was uh covid the first strand of covid when it first when it first came into society so that's a good thing right like the difference between now and then, like, when COVID first started in late winter, early spring of 2020, and even last season, was that if you contracted the virus, there were, it was it was a little bit more severe, and, and it was also a little bit more unknown. Whereas now, now with this new strand, if the if the um, number of of cases is somewhat similar to what it was before, that doesn't necessarily mean it's back to how it was before, because like. I think that player safety getting it and, and giving it, it's just it's a little bit more of a mild it's 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 from what I hear it's a, a lot more of a mild strain from what I read 
but that doesn't mean that like they can be careless with 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 how they move forward. And so, the league, if you look at how things have gone on in the last couple of weeks, they're just making it up on the fly, kind of, sort of. I mean, you have some teams get games postponed, some teams don't. Some teams have to play with seventeen skaters, like the Bruins did on Long Island. Some arenas, like the Senators, are, they had to reduce capacity. Now, granted, to the to the naked eye. Watching on TV, you wouldn't know that because they're always half capacity. Um, but the league's just kind of making it up as they go, it seems like. And, yeah. and up until a few days ago when they, I think, for the most part, kind of shut the league down through Christmas, right? Am I wrong about that? There's like a handful of games left to okay. be played this week that are still on as of Monday afternoon. Um, but even Monday, we got a couple, a few more cancellations. Like, I... This is a little bit of an aside, but I thought I was being really smart in my fantasy hockey league because I'm like I'm looking for like advantages. I'm like, okay, who's actually playing this week? Like, are there guys I can pick up and get a couple extra games in here and there over my opponent? So I see that Buffalo still has two games scheduled, and Buffalo's goalie uh, Uka Pekalukinen has been playing really well recently. Say that five times fast, right? <laughs> Uh, and they're playing Columbus, so I'm like, even though he's on Buffalo, like, he might get a win out of these couple games. They have two games against Columbus, yeah. so I pick him up. But, you know, I think I'm smart. Like, I think I just made a nice little little sneaky, wise move. And then like around 1 o'clock, Buffalo's two games against Columbus get canceled because now the Blue Jackets have their own COVID outbreak. And it's like, all right. And then I think uh, Pittsburgh-Philly got postponed today as well. So it's like, you know, every few hours there's another one. Yeah. So we'll probably be down to like one or two games before Christmas by the time this is said and done. Yeah. Um, to your point, like, about the, the new Omicron variant, like, yeah, it is. it does seem like hospitalization and death rates for people who, ha- who get it is lower. And obviously, you know, I think vaccination helps with that. So in that sense, yes, like, it's encouraging that. Knock on wood, players shouldn't be at risk of like real serious illness. Um, you know, the problem is, it's like I think the NHL and a lot in other leagues and businesses, really anyone, is just spooked by like the number of cases just skyrocketing again. It, it is a more contagious variant, yeah, it is more and contagious. So, I think you know, yeah, the early signs, the early returns on what happens and how players come through it are relatively encouraging, but like they don't want to get they don't want to just plow full steam ahead and now then a month from now it's oh crap, this is lingering with some guys and it's, you know, a little worse than we thought and yeah, maybe they're not end up in the hospital, but they're short of breath for months afterwards. Like they just don't know. And a lot of people don't know. Like it, this variant kind of I think it's blindsided everyone, all the way up to like national governments like around the world so see that confuses me though because you know i feel like um it's been well documented that like the virus is going to continue to mutate yes just like any other virus so you know when everybody got their first or i should say most people i i don't i don't think everybody's vaccinated but most people in society are vaccinated uh you know it was kind of like you get vaccinated but that's only gonna get you so far because eventually you know, the, the the antibodies would probably wear off a little bit and you have a different, a different mutation of the virus. Now, granted, the vaccine is supposed to cover, you know, uh, a multitude of different strands of COVID and whatnot. But my point is, um, 
it shouldn't it shouldn't really catch people too off guard. Like there was gonna be there there was gonna be cases climbing again. It's just a matter of how severe uh, these strains are and, and and how 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 much more prepared we are as a society to deal with it. And don't forget, like a lot of people, most honestly, I feel like it's gotta be in the high nineties. The percentage of people that are either a double vaccinated slash booster shot slash well, just just have the natural antibodies from getting COVID. Like it's just we're also at a different not in point. the U.S. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're we're yeah, on the what is that when it comes to like first world countries, we're in the lower end in terms of percentage vaccinated. Like I think we're still around like sixty something percent. So, so. But, but my point is like even if you're not even if it's not vac- being vaccinated, it could be just antibodies from getting COVID itself. Like my point is is like the whole like herd immunity thing. Like like we've tried as a society to like do the best we can, but it's still gonna it's still gonna creep up on us. So I I just it's like one of those things. It's like it's gonna this this virus is gonna have to run its course no matter what no matter what precautions us as a society take or the league, and it's just like it's just kind of like not disheartening, but it's it's almost like it's just a reality. Like 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 I don't think that's I don't think that the NHL as a league and I don't even think people in, in society are are really willing to like go back into another shutdown. Do you think that's the case? I don't know. I think everyone's guessing on on the fly and trying to make sense of it and trying to figure this out as we go. Like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have answers. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know what the longer term effects of, of this variant are going to be. I don't know, you know, how much it can spread. I don't know. Like if shutting stuff down is the best bet, if reducing capacity at major venues, like it seems like more places are going to start to do that again. Um, you know, you you would hope like, is there a way? You know, some businesses can stay open. Maybe it's just large events that are being reduced. Like, I don't know. I don't have answers. I, like, I you know, I think a lot of people don't have answers, and are just trying to figure it out. Um, you know, you see Montreal, Quebec already announced that they're down to zero capacity going forward for the time being in terms of um, big events. So the Canadians will not have fans for the foreseeable future. Um, Ontario is down to 50% capacity and I could see that getting lowered and them following Quebec's leads lead. So, you know, who knows? Like it, it sucks and I hope that's not where we're going, but it certainly seems like this is spreading Faster than than a lot of people can keep up with, and faster than a lot of businesses can keep up with. I I just, I guess it's just kind of like from my perspective, and, and this is coming from somebody who's like, I've taken all the the proper steps. Like I, I I've I've gotten vaccinated. I've been I've been wearing a mask this whole time. I haven't been like you know um, irresponsible with like hanging out with. The, I mean I, I I've been abiding by the rules, but you know, it's just one of those things like. Oh, we gotta just keep playing this this game of you know seesaw every every eight months when when the strand mutates and then it's like it just I don't know I just I it, look I'm not a medical professional I don't, I don't claim to be it's just I, I, what are we gonna do for like as long as everybody is doing what they're supposed to do like like can, can we really afford well, to shut down I like, mean the problem is is everyone's not like no I, we've seen as a country. Throughout this, like it, it's not everyone doing what they're supposed to do. So yeah, but that's not the reason. That's not the reason why this. Why the why the why COVID has a new strand out now. Like that's that would have happened regardless. Well, it, 
I mean, I don't know how far down this road we want to go, but like if not we, too far because we want to keep it hot. Yeah, but if we had a higher vaccination rate, and if we had we and many other governments around the world had worked to get vaccines to poorer countries, you know, there's a chance you you stop other strains. Like this one originates in Africa, where some countries in Africa are like under five percent vaccinated, and part of that is because first world countries haven't. Really haven't been helping them get vaccines, so yeah, you know, like that's it. It's going to come back to bite us. We think like, oh, we'll just protect ourselves, and it's like, well, no. Like if we're not, if you're not addressing it at like the world stage, then there's always going to be different variants popping up somewhere. But yeah, anyways, yeah. So speaking of world stage, we're not going to get into it too much, but the Olympics doesn't seem like it's going to be happening with the NHL players now. Um, so that sucks, and we'll we'll wait for the official word on that. With that said, February, as you and I were discussing before the podcast, will likely be uh, used as an opportunity to make up a bunch of these games that teams league-wide have been having to postpone and whatnot. So, you know, as it pertains to the Bruins, you go down to Long Island, thought they busted their asses, all things considered. Um, still no puck luck, still lack of scoring, and then... End of the day, you got to find a way, right? But it was it was an admirable effort, at least. Like, they are moving their feet, but they lost, right? So I guess the silver lining about all this is, you know what? It's probably for the best that they're not going to... Actually, i got to think about what other teams have players out, but assuming... Like, Carolina has a huge COVID outbreak. But what I was going to say was, it's good not to be playing Colorado and Carolina, two top-notch teams, when, you're, when you have your whole lineup essentially out, but... They might be going through the same thing anyway, but yeah, I I'm mean, just saying. Like, Colorado would have been without Kale McCarr and a few others. Like yeah. Carolina doesn't have Aho. It's and, and that and by the way, like that's another thing where you know I think you almost you had to pause. This is like fans fans are paying a lot of money to go to games, and if you're just seeing like a roster of HL players and, and like all the stars are out, it's like you're not really watching what you paid for at that point, like. If you're, you know, if you have tickets for a Bruins game and Bergeron, Marchand, Hall, uh, you know, Swayman, like they're all out. It's like, all right, like I mean, I guess he's like you still got McAvoy, Pasternak, but you're like, you know, to for lack of a better word, like you're seeing crap. Like you're you're not getting what you paid for, and so all these teams across the league just. So many star players out. Like I saw, um, it was Matt Porter of the Globe who started this. Like tweeted out the. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Um, like the all COVID team, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, that team could compete with Canada for Olympic gold. <laughs> like that yeah. team's loaded. Yeah, it was. It was pretty stacked. It was pretty stacked. So, um, if you're the New York Islanders, how pissed off are you that 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 the Bruins came down to, well, not Nassau Coliseum, whatever the new place is called. Played a game against them after they're having a COVID outbreak, and then after the game, two players that were playing in the game, Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar, <laughs> test positive for COVID. So if you're the Islanders, like how pissed are you at the league for for I guess greenlighting that game? I, th- uh, I don't know. Like it, it seems like these teams were most. Of, I don't. I won't speak for all of them, but most of them were willing to push to an extent to try to get these games in. And I think even the Bruins fall in that group because we talked to Don Sweeney on Saturday and he was asked, like, do you think the league made a mistake? Because 
on Thursday leading up to that game, the Bruins put four players on the COVID list that day. There were three that morning, and then Oscar Steen had an inconclusive test at first, actually traveled with the team to New York, and then came back as confirmed positive that afternoon after he'd already traveled with the team. So, like, that's the kind of thing where, like, last year that would have been instantly shut down, like, games off. This year, you know, with players vaccinated and symptoms relatively mild across the board, like, they tried to power through, and they are like, okay, well, you still have, even though you're going to be one player short of a full roster, you still have enough to play. And Don Sweeney said he thought the league made the right decision. And that was kind of what they've done across the board in terms of, like, if it's only a few guys or even if it gets up to a handful but they're spread out over a few days, like, they've been trying to power through. And it's really only when it gets to a point where it's clear that, like, okay, this is spreading and it's not stopping and this team can't play anymore. Like, that's when they reach shutdown point. So, you know, for the Bruins, that was when they got to nine players and two staff members. Um, And also, as we mentioned earlier, when they had to travel to Canada, because that was a real concern for players, is if they travel to Canada and test positive there, do they have to quarantine for 10 days or or 14 days or whatever it is? Um, I know they were looking to options of, like, people driving back or, you know, finding some way to get them back without obviously flying. Um, but that was, that was a real, I think that was probably why that trip ultimately got canceled. That was a real concern for players. And that's why the league is ultimately shut down cross-border travel until at least after Christmas. And, and you know something, um, you know, when it comes down to, the holidays and 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 being around uh, family and friends, you know what? The the league absolutely made the right call shutting this down because you know you have so many so many players just catching this like wildfire because like we talked about it, we think this strand is a little bit more contagious whether and whether or not it's as severe, which we don't think it is, but you know it's still nothing to sneeze at. Um, you got a lot of you got a lot of players who have you know elderly grandparents or parents and. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't be risking, you know, playing a game on the twenty third or whatnot, and then going to see family. It's just because, because if you did get it, if you did contract, you know, on the twenty second or the third, you might not necessarily know that until after Christmas when you see people. So it's just, it's when it comes to extended families, it's just, it, and it just really is. It's it's be, it's best to 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 axe these games um, until after until after the holidays. Um, it just sucks. It's just you know, it's 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 crazy that we're already like what twenty one months into COVID now. We're we're approaching two years, and it's just like fucking a. <laughs> like yeah. it's just like what? Do, come on, you know. Um, and I, like I I just I hope like they actually are able to restart after Christmas because it's I, I keep you know this whole week like people have been saying tweeting like this feels like March twenty twenty and. And it does. Like this is like the closest it's felt to that since then, really, in terms of just cases like skyrocketing and stuff shutting down. Like this is about you know, there's been other times where like you hit a speed bump and um you know, like last NFL season there were obviously a lot of games that had to get shuffled around. Last NHL season there were a lot of games that had to get shuffled around. But it never 
it never felt like you needed like a league wide pause or it never felt like that was like on the horizon. And now you pretty much have that in the NHL. Like, like I said, it's only like a handful of games that are still on this week as of now. Um, but you know, like I think back to March 2020, it's like, man, like how naive we were. Like we thought that was going to be, you know, maybe a couple weeks shut down at first. Like, you didn't think that was going to last and it ended up being months. Yeah. And I don't think this is going to be that. Like, I don't think we're looking at month long pause, but who knows? Like, you know, I, I really hope like we're not heading towards something like that. I hope that things settle down with like a week off, come back after the holidays and they're going to keep having cases and these will not be the last games postponed. I guarantee there'll be more, but you just hope that it's not spreading to at a rate that like you know where you you're considering another pause a month from now um you know you hate to say it but like so many players getting covid now it, you know you have to think like a lot of them are going to have antibodies and not get it again so um you know but you I was in first and foremost you just hope everyone gets through it okay like you know i think there's been I feel like there's been like some a little bit of misinformation in terms of like guys are doing fine and and you know people saying like everyone's doing okay and people are mistaking that for everyone's asymptomatic, which they're not. So Don Sweeney actually said the majority of the Bruins players who are on the COVID list have had mild symptoms, mm-hmm. which okay that like is fine. You can come back from that. Um, but he, I think he said only one or two were actually like asymptomatic, like no symptoms at all. So I feel like that's probably more of what you're seeing around the league. Like I would think of the it's now 100 plus players on the COVID list. I would guess most of them have had at least some symptoms, like probably very mild in most cases. Maybe you know a few here and there that are a little more severe. But you know I've seen some people say like. Well, most of them are asymptomatic, and I don't think that's accurate. Like, I don't think there's a lot that have had no symptoms at all. Yeah, and I, I think I think the biggest difference between, like, right now and, and March of 2020 is, I mean, granted, there's still a lot of information that, like, you know, we're still kind of, you know, learning on the fly, but it, back in March of 20, it was kind of like, I mean, you know, there was, it, it was so, it was so out of the blue, you know, for most of society, like we had no idea what it was. We, we did people, you know, it, it was still, it was still thought at the time for a few months when COVID first happened that like you could get COVID by, by touching something that somebody else touched. Yeah. Like it, it's, there, there's little things like that, that we just, that we know, we know how to deal with it more. There's more hair in our chest, I think as a, as a society, um, than there was then. Um, and you know, also there was a big, <laughs> there, there was there was a, there was an, a, an election going on that year too that a lot of people were trying to politicize the whole thing too on both sides and that just made society a, a fucking nightmare. Whereas nowadays it's just like it, I think people are a little bit more uh, I don't know I think I think focused on just like all right like you know we'll be okay like everything's it's just we're just gonna deal with this as we go and be the best we can. But as far as like the league goes and, and the players being asymptomatic or mild mild symptoms, you know I guess to your point earlier like. Yeah, there could be another shutdown if, if, if like they keep having having breakouts like this. But 
than like Steve Eiserman for the Red Wings. Like I don't know if you saw his comments, but he came out and he's not alone when he says this. I think a lot of executives around not just the NHL but the NFL too and other other professional leagues like their their, their mindset is and I don't want to misquote them, but it's kind of what their sentiment is is like, look, we have players testing positive and if not for the two lines on the test, like they wouldn't even know that they had it. Like, but yet if you test positive, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, causing players to have to not play and this and that and this and that. So, you know, Steve Eisenman amongst others are kind of saying like, should we just, if you're not feeling any, if you don't feel sick, don't test them. Because if you, if you can't test people, then they can't test positive and, and, and four shutdowns because of lack of players and this and that. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, so, th- I mean, this kind of, so the NFL and NFLPA over the weekend announced um, revised protocols and revised testing. And that that was part of it is like, they're not, they're no longer testing vaccinated asymptomatic players on any sort of regular basis. It'll only be, uh, they're calling it targeted testing, which is essentially like, still, if you're a close contact of someone who's tested positive, you're going to get tested if, uh, obviously, if you have any symptoms, you're going to get tested. Um, but otherwise, like, you know, they're, just, they're not going to test vaccinated asymptomatic players, um, which, you know, I've seen, like, some debate around this, and it's like, well, the, the NFL, in that case, is clearly just, they're looking out for their bottom line, right? They want games to be played, and they want as many star players on the field as possible, they don't want these situations like this week where they've had multiple games rescheduled and some teams have like 20 plus players in COVID protocol. Um, you know, a couple teams are down like their starting quarterback or other star players and like they don't want that. So they want anything that's going to keep more players on the field. The counter argument is if you're not, te- if they're not testing regularly and they're one of the places that has the resources to do that. There's almost two debates. One is, like, can vaccinated asymptomatic players play even if they, you know, have the virus or test positive? Like, that's one debate. But what the NFL is saying is, like, they don't even want to know. Like, they don't even want to know if, like, a vaccinated asymptomatic player has has it. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, which kind of, like, shows you where they're coming from, which is, like, they're not really interested in, like, collecting the data and having as much information as possible, they just kind of want to be like, eh, don't look over there, don't do that. So, yeah, I think Danny Chell is definitely having the same debate as to whether to follow the NFL's lead and do that. Um, but that's, that is a business decision. That is more about keeping games on and keeping players on the ice. That is not about stopping the spread of the virus because it doesn't do that. Because we know asymptomatic people can still spread it. So if you're not going to test asymptomatic people, like you're not actually doing the most that you can to mitigate the spread. So that's, yeah. <clears throat> you know, that like that, that's the choice that you're making there is you're putting business over spread mitigate mitigation. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's uh it's, it's funny you bring it up because it's, it's the leagues showing their true colors and it's not, it's not like, Look, I think that when you're the NFL or the National Hockey League or the National Basketball Association, whatever major league you are, 
you know, I think that there's a, uh, especially this day and age, there's a lot of pressure, I think, to adhere to a lot of, you know, political correctness. And so if the, in this, in in the circumstance of, of uh, COVID-19, like they, they don't want to come across as, as, as insensitive big business. Right. So, so they wanted to, you know, play the game of, you know, testing players and, and, and staying safe. And look, there was probably validity to that, but to what you said, the the fact of the matter is these are like corporate businesses. It's like like it's business. They gotta make money. They're not, they're not the morality police. And I think that like for 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 fans who think that if if fans want to look up to these leagues, like oh they're looking out for the health of of of, of their players and society. That's not true. Like they want like they want well, to make but, money. I mean, but there's also a business decision on, on the other side in terms of testing regularly and taking those steps because you know they also don't want they don't want to lose player like players who have gotten actually sick yes have been relative relatively rare but it has happened i mean like in boston eduardo rodriguez basically missed the entire 2020 season with myocarditis which he got from covid19 and that was before vaccinations so, so i get that part of it um but these teams all and team owners they also don't want to risk losing a star player to a COVID-19 illness that turns into something longer term. So there is incentive there to stop the spread and to try to prevent as much as you can, your players from getting it. Um, and there's also the business decision of you can't have your building turn into like a COVID hotspot where, you know, like a bunch of your players have it, and God forbid, like someone can trace like a an outbreak to a game or something like that. Like, you know, because then now you're definitely reducing capacity or playing in front of no fans. If if they decide that like everything at TD Garden is turning into a super spreader event, like that's bad for business too. So. Mitigating the spread is also like that's also good for business. It is good for business, but 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 also what's what's better for business is them not having to to cancel portions of their season because players are testing positive and they're asymptomatic or they're mild or whatever the case may be because because the testing protocols are still sky high. It's I, what you said is true. I just think I just think that. You know, if that if what you said is is truly truly most important to them, they would not. No, but no league would try to limit the testing because I just don't think they would. I think well, I think that like in the NHL, for example, like the Detroit Red Wings, like Steve Eiserman, right? His, his like if players are if players are testing positive but they don't feel sick, he's pretty much saying they still want to play. So, but they can't because they tested positive. So they want to limit those. To what you said, they want to filter some testing. Yeah, and. You know, I think there will be some sort of revision coming, but it's gonna it's gonna have to be with um, still some sort of measures in place to stop the spread and like that. There's not a, so especially in football, like outside games, there's basically like no evidence of stuff transmitting during a game. Indoors in an arena, it's a little less clear, but in general, it doesn't seem like it happens. So it could be something where, like, you know, if you're eight, 
maybe you test positive, and then if you're asymptomatic for, I don't know, two days, 48 hours, you can play. But you're still, like, held out of... Maybe you have to attend meetings virtually. Like, that's another part of the NFL policy, is there's now more leeway for players to attend meetings virtually and not have a big group altogether. So that there could be, like, a hybrid model like that, where it's like, okay, you can play in games, but and maybe practice, but you're staying away from, like, those closed quarters of just hanging around the dressing room or, you know, what... I don't know. I don't have the answers, but, like, I could see something like that where they reach some sort of hybrid model of, like, you're you're sort of being separated from the team but still allowed to play in game. Like, yeah. you know, not, who knows? No, I mean, it's, like it's, a, it's a mess. It's a mess. But, yeah. I mean, and you said you said the outdoor venues are... You know, they're, they're, uh, there's not much there as far as contracting it. But, I mean, I've been to the Garden a few times this year. And, and you know, um, I mean, there was one one time I walked in and uh, I, I don't even think I was asked to show my, my, my uh, vaccination card. Now, I have it on me and I've showed it before, but it was such a it was such a, a, um, a shit show to get in. There was so many people up that escalator that, like, they were kind of overwhelmed with people coming in. And, you know, also it's an impossible task for the, for the security in there to be – um, you know, uh, enforcing the masks mandate. I mean, it, it's you're talking about 17 plus thousand people that at any given second you could see a mask off because they're drinking a Coca Cola. You're not you don't have a, you don't have a stopwatch on on all 17 plus thousand how long it's off, and it's impossible for them to enforce it. It really d- does come across uh, upon uh, the fans. But my point is, is like. By the way, I think you're gonna see things getting stricter in that respect. Too. It's still gonna be tough though. Uh, it's still tough. It is, but maybe it's it's more security guard. I you know I don't know how, but one thing we know is that uh, Mayor Michelle Wu announced on Monday that fans at big events now will have to show proof of vaccination. Showing a negative test within the last seventy two hours is no longer enough. You have to have a vaccine card. Um, so that's one thing that's going to be changing. Um, it did see there was an article in the Globe with public health officials saying that. Um, and it had quotes from uh, the TD Garden spokesman as well, saying like, "Yeah, they know that like they need to enforce the mask mandate more. Like they know they can't be as lax on that." So I don't know what that's going to actually look like when you're at the game, but um, I think that there's going to be a crackdown because I think they know, you know, I think the Garden knows, and I think the Bruins know that if there isn't a crackdown and they just continue to let. And what, so you've actually been in the crowd. What would you say? It's like me sitting up on level nine. I look down. I'm conservatively estimating 70, 75% aren't wearing masks. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, uh, again, now to be fair, you know, for the majority of the season, again, up until a few weeks ago, and I don't even know if there's really been a home game since all this kind of started to happen again. But, you know, you're talking about people who they can't even enter the building if they're not vaccinated. Right or uh, or a negative test at the door, um, so you have you have people inside that they they vaccinated themselves they they feel comfortable around other people who too are also vaccinated, and I think you know up until a few weeks ago there was that sense of like okay we're getting out of this as a society things more more normal again so to answer your question everybody walks in with a mask um i think some people the second they get up the escalator into the into the concourse level it's that it's already off one ear uh before they get their first beer um 
Yeah, I, I would agree with what you said. For the most part, the masks, they, they come off when they're in their seats. Uh, and again, like I said, like there's a reason for that. Like They, they all feel comfortable there because everybody there is vaccinated or negative, but, and, and you know, whatever. But um, yeah, that'll have to be enforced uh, going forward, I imagine, for the foreseeable future more so. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I, like I, I was getting, like, I think they see the writing on the wall of, like, if they're if they can enforce it or won't enforce it, then the next thing that's coming is going to be reduced capacity. So they're going to have to try to take steps to avoid that from from coming because, like I said, we've already seen it north of the border. Like Canada is already taking those steps. Um, I think you'll see some some places in the U.S. start to, and you know we know Boston tends to be really from the start of this has tended to be one of the more proactive cities in terms of taking measures. And early on that was necessary because we were one of the hot spots. Like Boston was one of the places where COVID hit hardest at first. Um, so I, like, I get why that happened, but you know, I think um, it means there's not a whole lot of room to, to mess around or to not, you know, like I could easily see the city or the state, if they are watching, you know, Bruins and Celtics games and seeing the same number of people without masks saying like, we got to step in and take action. So that'll kind of be, it'll be on the Bruins, the garden and on fans to, you know, Hey, like be, be more responsible. Like do, do what you can. Like if you want to keep going to games, just do like that. The one small thing of like keeping your mask on, unless you're eating or drinking and, try to make it so that fans can keep going to games and capacity doesn't have to get reduced at some point. Yeah. And, and look, people are also confused too, because you know, it, how, how, how often has it been the case the last like six to eight months where, you know, even in Boston where it's still like, you're still forced to, th- to throw on a mask when you walk into a restaurant. It's, but like the second that the hostess tells you where your table is, the mask comes off and like, you're just sitting there and look, it's natural to think this. Like it's, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, I have to wear a mask from the front door to the table, but then it comes off for three hours at dinner. So I and I think I think that mentality translates to people in public settings at Bruins games and stuff too. It's just you know I don't know. It's 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 confusing for everybody. I think people I shouldn't say everybody's trying their best, but like it's been it's it's been almost two years of this too. So people are just it's only natural. People are starting to I don't want to say ease up, but like they're just kind of like I guess kind of sick of it. But it, it's tough. You can't be. But it's, I mean, it's tough. It's not like this is easy to, for people to go through. But what you said is true. I think they're going to, if they can't crack down at the games, then, uh, yeah, then they might have to crack down on the attendance. But um, I don't know. We've kind, of, we've kind of beat COVID to death for this episode, no? Right? Yeah. Fuck COVID. Let's move on to the boys and the boys in black and gold, huh? Um, Vana, where did you want to go with this? Did you, did you want to. Did you want to touch upon uh, your Christmas list now, or do you want to get to that afterwards, or was there anything before before that? No, yeah, so I'm working for something for, for WEI.com. I'm basically just a Christmas list for the Bruins. You know, what what do they want coming back from this break? Um, what do they want to see after Christmas? So, you know, I think, like, obvious first one is just health and getting back to full strength. Like, actually get these guys back. When they're supposed to be back, don't have anything lingering, don't have more spread afterwards. Um, so that's an obvious one. And then I think a second one is 
like some schedule relief and the NHL again it's not quite official that they're not going to the Olympics but certainly seems like that announcement is coming at some point this week um that's going to open up February and I know there's going to be complications with like buildings already had stuff scheduled like I think the garden has like a 10 day Disney on ice run so like there's 10 days you you're Anybody not playing that can play center <laughs> yeah <on> <laughs> I know you can find find your next call ups there, <laughs> um, but yeah, like at least get some games in during that stretch, and uh, you know, so we'll see if the NHL can make up all they, that they need to make up during February if they're not going to the Olympics, or do you end up extending the season on the back end? But uh, the Bruins' second half schedule, or I really should say post Christmas schedule, post. Uh, Olympic break schedule was already crazy. Um, you know, like, I think it was like 33 games in the last 65 days after the Olympics. So now you add in at least four makeup games that you have to get in somewhere. And, you know, if you're not adding them into that stretch in February, I don't know where you're adding them in. Cause like you can't, you can't have guys playing four games in five days. So hopefully just give them, some relief. Get those games in in February. Spread them out. That can be almost like a mini break recuperation period, um, and then get ready for for that stretch run, which is still going to be crazy no matter what. It's still going to be a lot of games in March and April. Um, yeah. So that was that was one thing that it, you know first and foremost has to get figured out. It's just like when are they going to make these games up, and is it going to you know can it ease up their schedule at all yeah um (laughs) you know it just makes this it just makes the uh the first month of their schedule that that was planned that way by the league just all the more asinine just ridiculous i mean seriously uh i think it's like you think back to to how the season started your season starting five days after everybody else opened up and then you have another five days off. It's like, it, and, and then you play three games, and then you have another five. Like, it was just, it was so idiotic the way the NHL did this. And clearly, they gave, they left themselves no room for, for, for error if something, God forbid, during a pandemic <laughs> came up uh, um, and, and caused further, like we're seeing right now. So it's just, God, the league is, 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 is idiotic sometimes. Um, I would say, Scott, uh, if I were writing that that column for you, um, I, w- I would I would say the Bruins for Christmas. They're uh, they're looking for an identity. Um, I think for the for reasons I just kind of brought up, like this has been such a such a strange Bruins season. If I'm being totally honest, it's, it's probably one of the um, least captivating, least exciting seasons I've seen in quite some time. Um, between the sporadic schedule and to start the year that I just talked about. Um, to the lack of offense, to the lack of chemistry, um, the lack of fight at times. It's just, and again, I know this team is like, whatever, whatever they are, like thirteen and eight, or I don't even know. Like they have a winning record, I get it, but we all know that watch this team year in and year out. That you know, that doesn't mean that they're they're playing to their standards. So fourteen ten and two. Fourteen right. ten and two. So like, yeah, look on the surface, you're like, okay, yeah, above five hundred, but fourteen ten and two. Based off winning percentage, doesn't even ha- it barely has them hanging on in the in the East. So, 
Like, there's a lot of teams that are playing well this year. A lot of winning records this year. Um, so, I think the Bruins need to find an identity. For all the reasons I just said, they haven't found it. Uh, there's been a couple of games here and there where you sit there and say to yourselves, like, all right, boys, that, that that's you played well tonight. Um, but between, um, you know, David Pasternak has not been himself this year, and, and, and rightfully so. I understand what he went through in the offseason. Um, I'm just... I'm just from a hockey perspective, I'm just I'm just stating that because it's just true. Taylor Hall has not played to his ceiling this year. Craig Smith has like two goals, and I think he's been in and out of the lineup with injuries, so he hasn't really been himself. You you had you had no David Krejci going into this into the year. You had no Tuka Rask, so you're already kind of battling uphill looking for some identity. Um, you know, Bergeron and Martian, they're playing great, but you know they need help. And to boot, you have an incomplete lineup. Like you need that second line center. You have a player in Jake DeBrusque who is playing in your team every single night, and he has made it known he wants out. Um, so it's just <laughs> this team is like they, 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 there's literally no identity. If they need anything for Christmas, it's an identity. How do you get that? Well, first and foremost, you have to get back to health, which is what you said. Um, and then I don't, I truly don't believe, and, and Fluto said last week, and I, I, I think he's probably right. I don't know because of the personal issues that Pashnak went through this last summer, losing his child. That's like I, I just don't, from a hockey perspective, I, I, I don't see how he can be what he was in prior seasons, just on a human level. Like that, that's devastating what he went through, and I think that everybody understands that that's what he's going through. But for Taylor Hall, I don't see Taylor Hall getting to his ceiling this year unless he has like solid line mates, uh, and that starts with that second line center. Can they get a third line winger as well? Can they get a an additional top four defenseman at the deadline? I don't know without giving up the farm for them and and they don't even have a great farm. But I don't know. I think I I don't think their identity can truly start until they until they really get the personnel situated on this team, which might not be until freaking April or, or uh, end of when's the deadline uh, trade deadline end, end of March like March twenty yeah. something or other. Yeah, um, it's not it's not looking good for the Bruins this year. If I'm being totally honest, there, there's too much from a league's perspective. There's too much going against them with this with the schedule that they have. Um, they just like I said, they don't they don't really have the depth. How are they gonna get that depth? Like, you're gonna give up first rounders, and then by the, and then by the time like Bergeron does retire, you literally have fucking nothing left because <laughs> we all saw Jackson is not. I don't even think Jackson is gonna. Be, Grant, I understand I've wanted him in the lineup, but like, I don't know. I don't, I think I think his ceiling might just be a third line center in the National Hockey League. I don't. It's it's tough to tell. So like, I'm okay with parting him too, but I just don't know if the, if the stars are going to align for this team this year. There's too much. There's too many question question marks. Yeah. So that kind of touches on another thing I was going to say that they need or would want rather is some sort of injection of youth. Like, is there any? Young, is there any young players, any prospect who can step up and contribute to this team this year? Um, we got to look at a couple of them. Uh, that game against the Islanders, Stanika and Frodine were both called up, played on the same line, and that line was really quiet and didn't do a whole lot. Now, if you want to say, like, okay, that's tough circumstances to get called up and thrown into that chaos, like, I get that, but it's also an opportunity. Um, and I would say, you know, especially Stanika, who has not really made the most of his opportunities when he's been at the NHL level, 
And, you know, it's now up to 30-plus games in the NHL, which isn't nothing. And, yeah, they've been spread out, and there hasn't been that one long, consistent run, so I get that. But at some point, like, you've got to just impress in a small sample size and take a job. And, you know, like, I would point to Jakob Zaborl, uh, another guy, by the way, that we've kind of, like, forgot about who was hurt. Well, you um, saw the news on him today, right? What was that? Um... So, what's the gentleman's name out of Providence who reports for them, Mark? Mark Diver. Yeah. Um, he said that uh, Zaboro got surgery on his knee. Yeah. So, I mean, we knew that was going to be at least a couple weeks anyways. So, I think there's supposed to be some sort of update on him in early January. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see if that's surgery means it's longer term or if that was kind of planned anyways. Who knows? But Who knows? Um, but anyways, the point I was trying to make with Zaboro is like, that's someone who eventually got in the lineup because Mike Riley wasn't playing well and got healthy scratched and played well enough basically in two games to claim a lineup spot and to stay in. Um, at some point, you need someone like Stanika to do that. And, you know, Jesper Froden probably hasn't had enough time in North America to really be there yet, but he's also an older player. Like, he's not a 21-year-old prospect. You know, he's he's really, like, in, like, the prime years of his career. So you hope maybe that's someone who can step up at some point this year um, and contribute as he gets more comfortable. Oscar Steen got called up and then tested positive for COVID the same day or a day later, didn't even get to play in a game. He's someone who at times has looked good when he's been called up and you like what you see, but can that actually turn into meaningful contributions? Because this team has enough fourth liners who can step in and give you effort and not score. Like, are any of Oscar Steen has had a good offensive season in Providence this year? Can that translate to even, you know, third line ability? Um, but you need something like that. There needs to be some forward from Providence who contributes at some point, even if it's even third or fourth line, just some offense. Like, you need any depth scoring you can get. And I know we're not high on the Bruins farm system. I don't think there's any reason to be high on it, but like if you can't, if, if you don't have anyone who's ready to contribute at all, like that is just, it's so damning. And it's like, man, like you, you can't survive. Like you, you can't expect to win with no one who is capable of stepping in and like contributing offense. You know what, you know what I think they should do now that I think about it? Because the state of the Boston Bruins as we speak currently. Okay, the NHL roster is average, right? We kind of agree on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's top. Like you still have the elite high end of your roster is something that a lot of teams would love to have. Mm-hmm. But yes, the rest of it is average, to maybe mean, even below average as you go down the depth chart. Right. So you 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 balance that out one through twenty. Their NHL roster. Is average, maybe slightly above average, and then could be even more above average with a, with a good deadline. But right now, the state of the Boston Bruins, their NHL roster is average. Their their AHL team is below average. Their farm system overall, their prospect system is below average. So, and it's not like they have any like you know. Um, Multiple first rounders coming up in the next draft from a trade in the past. Like, like they have all they have coming up is their 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 own draft picks, right? Which is pretty pretty standard unless you unless you just 
or an idiot and just trade away, you know, future considerations for something, which they've done in the past. So, um, so NHL roster average, AHL team average, prospect system below average, draft pick collateral standard. What the hell has this team really done right in the last few years? Like, you know what? That sounds like a troll statement. That's not what I meant to say. I, I, I'm just saying, like, how is this team set up to succeed going forward? They really aren't. So, the only thing they have going for them, truthfully, right now, um, contrary to, you know, Mike Milbury's comments, is the fact that they still have Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. So, because I don't think that their farm system is so great right now, I have no issue trading Jack Sanika. I, I have no issue trading anybody in Providence. I would like to protect Lysel and, and 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 your and your next year's first rounder if possible. Anything else, I'm okay parting with. I'm okay parting with some young veteran roster players too. If it means you can get better right here and now, give Bergeron and Martian their best chance to win a cup this year and or next, and then the second Bergeron hangs up the skates, I think your window is officially closed. And if Marshan is still around, I think that's probably an opportunity to, to, to sell extremely high on somebody and, and try to stockpile future considerations and stuff like that. But I don't want Sweeney being in charge of that. I'm just saying, uh, long-winded way of saying, they just got to they gotta go for it. And if it means having to restock your system and your prospect pool, fine. Because cause their current prospect tool, pool sucks. You have no centermen. John Beecher, Jackson, Nika, those guys are not replacing Bergeron or Krejci. So um, I would try to protect Lysel. Other than that, if if, if somebody, if you have to trade away Jake, uh, Jake DeBrusque, maybe Brandon Carlo at some, at some point this year for something that's really going to help this team, I, I don't give a shit. Like, see ya. I think Brandon Carlo has sucked. I think he's actually kind of maxed out as a player, to be honest with you. I don't think he's very good. He he was a lot better before. He has stone hands. He makes shit decisions under pressure. Like, I'm out on Carlo. I'm sorry. I and now defensively they're kind of thin. So the last thing you want to be doing is getting rid of a six foot five defenseman on the right side. I get that. But what's he bringing to you right now besides probably a good kid in the locker room? Not much. Not much. Yeah, I think he's he's, he's expendable in my mind. Hundred percent. I think. Pr- he had started to have a couple of good games. That's good for him. In that that Western Canada road trip, and then, and I mean, the whole team sucked this past week uh, against Vegas and in the Islanders. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. The thing is, is like if you were even going to consider trading Carlo, that window priority passed. Like once you sign him to an extension, his value in a trade is not very high unless you, unless there's a team that's really high on him because. That's a lot of money, and like I didn't hate the extension because I thought he'd be, you know, your solid second pairing right side defenseman for for the duration of that contract, basically. Um, but yeah, he definitely needs to be better than he's been for most of this season. Um, I just don't think like I don't think he'd be kind of like a blue chip trade asset. You know, I don't think teams would be high on him given his play and his contract so which speaks volumes about the player because yeah. he's supposed to be in his prime it's just like he's supposed to be part of the young, the young core with McAvoy and Pashnak he ha- he wears an A and I know I joke about it in the past but the best thing he does is ice the puck unless it's the penalty kill in which case he can't get it out of his own zone and 
he for for somebody who and look, I like Brandon Carlo like as a as a as a person as a player for the most part. But the last the last like you know season plus, he is not. He just hasn't been there. Um, he for his size. Tr- look, if you if you're listening to me right now and, and and you think I'm being pessimistic and just being an asshole towards the kid, I, I promise you, watch him specifically going forward. For his size, he loses a lot of battles along the boards. He does the same thing that Boychuk and McQuaid used to do, which is just get out on the boards and eat it in your skates. The difference is those guys were just tougher and meaner, and they, they just they were able to pl- do it better. But he 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 cannot transition the puck. He he goes for these these two zone stretch passes all the time off the boards and ices it. And I don't know. Look, I'm just down on the player, and and, and quite frankly, I don't I don't search for players to be down on if, if it's glaring. I'll bring him up. He's been glaringly bad. I mean, the Islanders game, uh, first period, like, you know, you're down a bunch of regulars. You get you get 17 skaters. You need somebody to step up, a young leader to step up. And in the first five minutes, he's got nobody on him, and he turns the puck right over in front of the Bruins bench. You see Cassidy and Sacco, like, throw their hands up in the air. Leads right to a scoring chance. They don't score. And then two shifts later, he loses a puck battle behind the net, just panics and kicks it out to the front to Clutterbuck and it's one nothing. It ends up being like essentially the game winner. So he just needs to be better. And look, what you said is true though, Scott. He's not really worth much, which sucks. Yeah. By the way, I find it interesting that um so you mentioned those two turnovers and we'd had the conversation last week going off, you know, Greg Hill's report slash non report about Cassidy like getting on Grizzlick. And when we talked to Fluto about that on last week's podcast he mentioned, you know, like, yeah, Cassidy does get on guys. Like, he didn't know about that example specifically. He hadn't heard anything. But he was like, yeah, like, he does get on guys from time to time. And he mentioned Carlo is one of the guys he gets on um, or has gotten on in the past. And then those two turnovers happen that next game. And during the commercial break, Fluto was down there in New York. Fluto tweets out uh, Cassidy something. I wish I had the exact quote, but there's something along, along the lines of, like, Cassidy really giving it to Carlo during this TV timeout. Yep. And I was like, okay, like, yeah. Carlo also uh, was six out of six for ice time and defense that night. Yep. So it, it's just, like like I said, I'm not trying to be an ass to Carlo. Like, good kid, for the most part, like, honest player. But you get to a certain point in your career where you need to expect more of yourself because the team expects more of you, too. And he has not been the player that they hoped he would be. He was, look, and maybe it's because he was playing with Chara, Early on in his career, but when he was a rookie, he was he was a hell of a player for rookie, for for a rookie stay at home defenseman. He was he was pretty pretty damn good. And then you know McAvoy came on the scene the next year and kind of alleviated Carlo of those top. He was a Carlo was a top pair defenseman that first his rookie year with Char. Now granted the team was not cup bound by any chance. They were like a bubble team, but he's just I said it before the year in our preview. Like I needed him to take a step up this year. He's taking a step back if not two. And so, like, when you when you look at the NHL roster, because if you want this team to go for it, like, because their farm system's not great, unless you're willing to give up, like, Lysel and, and, and you know, first-round picks and this and that, like, no, who, who, who's really going to want Eurovekaninen or, or Zach Senishin or, 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 or Stanika? Maybe somebody might want Stanika, but, like, he'll be a PB a package. You're going to have to probably part ways. To get good players in return, you got to give up players that you value. And I think that... If they get to the deadline, like you give you give away Carlo, yeah, on paper, like your defense is now lacking. But I don't know it, how much is it really lacking if he's not there. He hasn't been playing very well, and I don't know. I just think that this team's gonna have to do a roster shakeup, and 
you can't be afraid to deal players that that are valuable to you, um, unless maybe it's like the top guys. Because I don't know, this they're just stuck in neutral, and they only have their, themselves to blame for it. Honestly, yeah, and, you know that. So like I've been saying for a while, just just hang around, just like be in playoff position, and they still are. They're still eighth in the Eastern Conference on points percentage, but like that. They're not getting into the top three in the division. You know, Florida, Tampa, Toronto, like, forget about it. You're not catching them. And now, like, they're even, they've even dropped pretty well behind Pittsburgh for the first wildcard spot. So, right now, like, you're basically the eighth team. And I guess the only good news there is that, like, I don't have any faith in any of the teams chasing them. You're Detroit, Columbus, Philly, Islanders, like... I think all those teams are pretty garbage, and I don't really see any of them turning it around or turning it on. Like Detroit has some some good young players, but I don't think they're there. Columbus got off to a hot start and has really collapsed. So I feel like they're going to be a playoff team because at the very least they'll be able to tread water enough to like stay ahead of all those teams and be the eighth seed. But yeah, at some point you're going to need to decide if like if you're really going for it, because if you are, then yeah, you got to find a way to make additions at the trade deadline. And I know, you know, we always say like, and it's, it's proven to be true in the past is if you're in the playoffs, you have a chance. Um, but it just kind of sucks that like you're, you're at the point where you're the team that says, if we're in, we have a chance and you're really just hoping that you get hot. You're hoping that one of your goalies gets hot and carries you like, that's what you have to hope for because you're you're not going to be real. I think probably in like just about any playoff series, you're not going to be the best team on paper. No, even even if you do make a good addition at the trade deadline. So, you know, I kind of feel like all you're going to be able to hope for this year is improve your team enough just to give yourselves a chance, give yourself some hope, and and hope a goalie gets hot. Like that's that's about it. That's kind of where this team's at. But it's frustrating though, Scott, because. It seems like everywhere you look, they shoot themselves in the foot. You know, besides Don Sweeney trading Anders Bjork in a second for Taylor Hall and Carlos Azar, which at the time and still now, despite Hall's struggles, I mean, what are we what are we talking about here? That, that's that's yeah. a massive win, right? But I, mean, like, I, think, I think a third round pick for Mike Riley was good too, and I know he's he's had his struggles this year, but I think. That was a that was a good trade, and I and I still think Riley will be solid in general. Like I, I'm not totally giving up on him just because he's had some tough games, mm-hmm. but like I think that was a good trade. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I have no issue with the Mike Riley trade, but here's a couple of things too where it's like, you, it's just it's fair to second guess, and and I don't think at the time anybody was sitting here like criticizing him for these moves. But what's their biggest Achilles heel right now, as a team? Well, I would say depth scoring. Okay. So, it's a little bit frustrating when you look at a 26-year-old, 26-year-old, Andre Kasha, with eight goals this year for Toronto, you know? And he and, and he was he was a highly skilled player in Anaheim, who, but he had bad injury luck. Fair. I get it. Okay? But I'm just saying, he's 26, capable of scoring, eight goals. Then you look at Danton Heinen. I also think Heinen's like 25 or 26, right? Nine goals in Pittsburgh. That's, what, 17 goals between those two guys. And, and, and those are two guys you essentially let go for nothing. I mean, you, you got you got Richie for, for Heinen. 
and you 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 just you didn't you just let Kasha go for nothing uh, in free agency, right? So it's just it's just like you you lacking depth scoring, and, and there's those those are two guys. Now, granted, I will say if Danton Heinen and Andre Kasha were on this this Boston Bruins team, I don't think Kasha would have eight goals, and I don't think Heinen would have nine goals. I think they would both be struggling to score like everybody else because there's there's a lack of mojo here, like. Kasha's in Toronto playing with Matthews on the top power unit. Heinen's in Pittsburgh playing on the second unit. So I just think that those players are in positions to succeed. But as players that, are, that, that if they're in the right spot, can score. So is Boston just not a good spot for player for, for, for like typical NHLers to succeed? Like, like what's the problem here? I mean, I think part of it probably does come back to the fact that, like, the Bruins demand more defensively. That is always, you know, while they open things up a little bit when they transition, transition from Claude to Cassidy, for the most part, they've still been a defense first team. And like, you have to take care of that first. And I think that does limit some guys. Like it's harder, you know, it's one thing to have like your Bergeron and Martian on the top of the line. who can play great defense and score a lot. It's harder to get that. The more you, you move down the lineup, like you're, when you get to third and fourth liners, for the most part, you're probably looking at guys who do one or the other. Like either they can contribute offensively, but they're not the strongest defensively, or they're good defensively, but they're not going to score a lot for you. And that that's one thing that I liked about Kasha when they made that trade was I thought he was both. Like his his defensive analytics and everything were really good, and offensively he created a lot of chances. Um I just I have a hard time like second guessing either of those because Kasha the combination of injuries and the fact that his finishing had just completely plummeted to like virtually zero I mean literally zero goals as a Bruin now admittedly that's not a lot in a lot of games but even like his last year plus in Anaheim he had had a fairly serious shoulder injury and then came back from that and like couldn't shoot they couldn't score Uh, you know was taking a bunch of shots but they just weren't going in so like i think there were real concerns there and look i'm glad that he's found that scoring touch again and shots are actually going in from this season but i don't know that anyone really saw that coming like that was an ultimate flyer signing by the by the maple Leafs. they're just they couldn't afford to spend a lot of money so they were just taking a flyer on someone who if things broke right, was going to be able to help, and and they're fortunate that things have broken right, and Kasha's done well. But like I, I don't know. I can't. I didn't really second guess them letting him go at the. Like I didn't think much of them letting him go at the time. I thought they needed to try to find more certainty. So I'm not going to sit here now and be like, oh yeah, that was stupid. Like, you know, I'll try to stick to my guns. Like I didn't think it was a big loss when they let him walk. So, but you know, you, you know, you know what a big loss is though, is the first rounder it took you to get him. Yeah, well, I, I think that first round was have to get him and have to dump David Backus's contract. I look, I, I get it, I get it, but like, why is it that the player that you utilize a first round pick to get, granted, like you said, it was also a Backus out. I get it. Why, why, why does it take you? It takes you to give up a first rounder to get a player. And then, not even two calendar years later, it's a flyer player for the for, for the Maple Leafs to just sign. Like, it's just it's just it's not so much about 
you can't just give away a first rounder and then for a player and just let him walk when when he's only 26 has potential and I know has injury issues I get that I'm just saying like where's the it's just bad asset management it's like you you, because now you got nothing you had a first rounder fine you gave him away fine but then you just give the player away be ready for when they get nothing for Jake DeBrusque. <laughs> like, that's gonna I, be no, another. I know, I know, and Jake, but, but I'm, I know. I'm just saying, like this, it, it's it, where are the Bruins getting these fly, taking the Flyers and players and succeed. It's never them. It's just they're always. Yeah, you, you know who would have been another ball. pretty good they're one? Signing that? players too late that are out of their prime, and then they're giving away players arguably too early in their. <laughs> That that's what the Bruins MO has been for the last ten years, Scott. <laughs> they, they trade away players to that are that are young before they hit their prime, and they sign players or trade players that are out of their prime. It, I mean, look, I, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's kind of true when you look at the grand scheme. Yeah, and you know who would have been another good player to take a flyer flyer on that the Maple Leafs did and has worked out really well. Michael Bunting, yeah, guy that they who came really from out of nowhere, scored a bunch of goals for the Coyotes last year. I think he had like. 10 goals in 20 games or something, but like was had essentially been a non prospect before then, so teams didn't really know how to value him. And the Maple Leafs took a flyer on him, and he has, I think, seven goals and 12 assists this season. Yep. Like, has been a really solid depth offensive player for him. Um, yeah, and instead, you went out and spent real money on Felino and Halla. You know, no check, I put differently. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that. He was signed for fourth line money. For the most part, he's been a solid fourth liner. Okay with that. But like you spent real money on Felino and Halla to come in and be at least third liners who were supposed to upgrade your third line and, and give you more depth scoring, and they just haven't. No. And you can only... For so long, it was um, Shirelli sucks... You know, he signs guys for too long. He's falling. He fell in love with the championship core, this and that, and and he he crippled the Bruins franchise. I mean, you trade away Sagan, the future of a franchise. You know, for whatever reason, on or off the ice issues related, but and and you get and you literally have nothing in return from that from that trade. I mean, you, you get Riley Smith, who's a bona fide top six player in this league or a top six forward in this league for Vegas. He's out the door. You got Louis Erickson, <laughs> like he he was okay for a couple seasons. Matt Frazier is not in the league. Ken Morrow's not, or um, what was it? Brendan Ken Morrow? Brendan Morrow? Joe Morrow? Joe Morrow? <laughs> he's out. He's out of the league. Ken, Ken Morrow was on the. That's right. That's right. Marigold on Ice but, team. Uh, like, so so you. Which is what the U.S. is going to need in this think, Olympics. Think, think about this now. Now Tyler Sagan has fallen from. He is he is no longer a top you know X player in the league, but he was for quite some time. You trade him away. Literally for a bunch of guys who are not in the league anymore, like five years later, except for Riley Smith, who was a good player, but you know got rid of him too. Um, they just this that was now that was a Shirelli move, right? That was Peter Shirelli's doing. But Don Sweeney's had six years now to 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 mold this team into what he envisioned it. It's no for the first couple of years it was like, look, Don's been handed a shit situation. Like Shirelli kind of put them into mediocrity and. Whatever he, yeah, Don needed there a couple are years. serious, serious cap issues. Don, they Don had, to get had a few out of. years to, yeah. to, to, to get, but now he's had six years, and it's like, well, where's the drafting developing? You know, aside from a, the, they went to the Cup Finals in nineteen. Let's be honest, we can say this now wholeheartedly. If it wasn't for Tampa getting swept, the Bruins aren't going to that Finals. I don't think. I mean, maybe they could have found a way, but that that path was there for them, and it's more evident as time's gone on. 
that that path probably got them there as opposed to they beat the team they had to beat. And I think Columbus was a, Columbus swept the Lightning. So and then you took care of them in five or yeah. six. So. I mean, I think I think that was to an extent. Yes, the path opened up for them, but like that's that's I, hockey though. Yeah, and I, and I don't think they beat bums like, like that. Columbus team was good, as evidenced by beating the Lightning, and then that same Columbus team took the Lightning to what was it six games the next year, and a couple of those went to overtime. Um and that Carolina team was young, but was clearly building a, a pretty good team that has continued. You know, it's clear that they had a good core that has continued to be good for them for the next few years since then. Agreed. But you're talking, but that's that the, that season turned out to be the outlier, right? Because aside from that, it's been a first round exit or second round exit in Don Sweeney's tenure. So his teams have never, his, one time his teams have gone f- far, the other times it's, it's, it's second round at most or out, which is not like that's better than most teams in a given year. I'm just saying. And, and, and at the same time, though, there's there, there's no there's no there's no prospect system in place. There's no real direction for this team. I don't know. It's just we can do that. We can go in circles. It's, it, it, I, don't, I don't mean to just keep bashing and bashing, but like you got to at least see. You, there's I can't see what's next for this team. And that's why it's frustrating because if you're if you're a cellar dweller or a cup contender, at least you know what the team's trying to do going forward. I don't know what this team's trying to do, and I don't know if I have the faith in the current brass to do it. Um, I'll just say I'll echo what you said earlier. I guess in, as far as this year goes, stay in the hunt until the deadline and see what happens. But I'm kind of you know without any games to really discuss. I got nothing really. That's partly why I'm just shitting on Carlo and, and, <laughs> and others, but like, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think that's about it, though. Like, yeah. there's there's not much else to to talk about. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll come back after Christmas. Hopefully, there'll be a couple games at that point. Um, but World we'll, Juniors we'll, to watch too. Get to watch yeah, some, that'll, that'll be yeah. a fun tournament. Um, and who knows? Maybe they'll drop the announcement that there'll be a World Cup of Hockey in the fall <laughs> to make up for the lack of Olympic hockey probably this year. So we'll see on that. Um, other than that, you go. You all set, Scott? Yep. I'm all right. Good. That wraps it. That wraps up the episode. Uh, everybody enjoy your Christmas and have a good New Year. Yeah.